Beautiful, beautiful music this morning. God is good. All the time. Well, this is a big weekend, isn't it? And uh, almost kind of like a national holiday weekend, the Super Bowl and all of that. But more important than anything that happens in Dallas this evening is what happens in your home and my home every day. More important than any game ever played anywhere is the relationship that we have with the Lord and the relationships He gives us with each other. We've been thinking about marriage, and we've been thinking about it for some weeks now. And last week, we left off with this thought that we're to nourish and cherish and that the words we speak to our spouses are so incredibly important. And even as I say that, I must confess that communication is is very important, but it's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, to get really good at it, to begin to read each other and understand what the other person needs and to respond to that need by sacrificing our own desires and submitting our own will to the will of the Father so that we can relate to each other. I read about a, a wife who was going to go on a long trip, and uh, so she left her husband behind with her favorite cat and her mom and said, you've got to take care of the, the cat and my mom while I'm gone. And, and uh, he struggled with communication. He, how do I say this? He didn't have the tact gene. You just struggle with communication. And so uh, she's going off on this trip. He's really blunt. He has no finesse at all. She calls him when she's uh, leaving on the trip and she's uh, been gone for about a day. And uh, she calls him and he answers the phone and she says, how are you? And he says, fine. And she says, well, how's the cat? Dead, he said. She said, no, 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 don't, don't say that. I love that cat. I can't believe. This is what we've been talking about. You're so blunt and you, you know, you've got to learn to sort of communicate better. He said, what did you want me to say? And she said, well, you could have said, well, the, the cat's on the roof. And then the next time I called, you could have said, I think the cat fell off the roof. And then you could have said to me, I think the cat's injured. And just over a period of time, you could have broken this to me slowly and he said, okay, I'm sorry. And she said, well, how's mom doing? He said, she's on the roof. <laughs> See, communication is hard. I mean, it's difficult for people like us, and we struggle with that. Today, I want us to take one more step in this journey to talk about marriage and think together about what it means to be one family under God, indivisible. Would you open your Bibles with me again to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 to 33. We'll turn a corner next week into chapter 6 and begin to talk about children and parents, but all of that is going to build on this sermon. That is the strength that our children derive to face the anxiety and challenges in our world derives from the strength of our marriages as well. So we need to be solid and strong and I invite you to open God's Word. Stand with me as we read together today. I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Tonight, my friend Stephen Smith, a um, member of our church, um, uh, the head chaplain down at the VA, and uh, a great man of God will be preaching in our service. I am headed for Midland to, um, to preach at uh, Circle Six Ranch uh, tomorrow evening. Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ 
and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Father, thank you for holy songs of joy that we have sung this morning. Thank you, Lord, for words translated from Hebrew into German into English that delight our souls as we sing. And thank you, Lord, that your word never returns void, that when you send it forth, it accomplishes your purposes. So our prayer is, God, whatever you want to do in our lives, in your church at Tallowood, through this word today, in our families and homes, we ask, God, that you would do exactly that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The good news about marriage, and there's a lot of bad news, I know, but the good news about marriage is there is a design. Not only is there a design, but there's a designer. There's one who created marriage, one who redeemed marriage. And we've said that God's plan for marriage, the key to marriage, comes in the shape of a cross, that marriage is not a cross that we bear, but the cross is able to support the full weight of our relationships with other people. So Christ calls us to come to Him and to come to the cross again and again, submitting to the will of the Father, surrendering our will, sacrificing for each other, speaking words of love to each other, and finishing strongly. And how do we do that? Well, in the very design of marriage, God planned for that. And so from the very beginning, the Apostle Paul says uh, that God planned that a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and those two would become one. We look at that and say, well, Paul, Paul lived 2,000 years ago. I mean, what, what can he say to the 21st century about marriage? It's interesting because when Paul wanted to define the design of marriage He doesn't just speak in the first century world, but he goes all the way back to creation, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he says, this is what God purposed. For this reason, Genesis 2, 24 says, what reason will will a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and become one with her? The reason is because God designed the man. And then God designed the woman and He intended for them to share their lives together and by taking the woman out of the man and then bringing them together. And God was the one who gave Eve away at the very first wedding. God was setting the stage for them not to live two separate disparate lives, but but lives that were perfectly joined together physically and emotionally and spiritually. This was God's design from the very beginning and so he teaches us that this was what God designed and then Paul in the in the 20 in, in the first century and, and Jesus in in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 6 when he's dealing with the issue of divorce says this very same passage Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and if the word of God from the very beginning of creation was appropriate in the first century what in the world would make us think that we have outgrown it in the 21st century. The designer knows best. He's the one who created. And he created relationships in which we would leave some things behind so that we could be connected in vital ways that, that bring us together and give strength to the home. 
So I invite us together today to consider what he's saying when he says God's plan for marriage is that it would be indivisible. We could no more separate a, a husband and wife than we, could, than we could separate the body of Christ from Christ himself. So in the verses just before, he says we are members of Christ's body. And just as we are members of Christ's body, husband and wife are members of one another, united together as one. This is, he says, a profound mystery I'm not saying this is easy to understand, but I'm teaching you today from God's Word that as God designed marriage, ultimately the husband will love his wife and the wife will respect her husband. How does that happen? What is God's plan? How do we put this into effect? Well, he says it begins by leaving well, that that at some level you and I have to distance ourselves appropriately from our families of origin. Now the word he uses there, that word katalipo, is, is a word that, that is sometimes translated forsake. It means you have to sort of walk away from your family of origin in order to fully commit. That's not to say that we, we abandon everything good that our birth families have given to us. It is to say that no other relationship on earth must ever supersede the relationship of the husband and wife. So you can imagine a, a, a wife, for instance, who is still looking to her father to give her what she needs, but now she's married and that would be disruptive. Or, or imagine a husband who, who before he ever did what his wife asked would always consult with his mother. Consider how difficult that would be. So there's this leaving that he talks about and sometimes it's it's an actual physical leaving in our extended family there is some dysfunction yours too in our extended family there's some dysfunction and so so generations back there were members of our family who had to literally for the sake of their children leave behind relationships and move across the country to get away out of fear that some of that generational dysfunction would be visited on their children. Now that's not without danger because we need our, Roberta Gilbert says, we need our extended families as well and there's strength in our extended families but if there's also danger then sometimes we have to have to go away from that and sometimes it means financially that we simply we simply cut ties, and uh, I think of that commercial. Commercials will be big this evening, won't they? But I think of that commercial years ago. I don't know why I remember it, but this, um, this uh, son has finally gotten a job. He's been living at home with his parents, with his wife, and, and uh, they, the parents uh, hire out a, a singing telegram. Remember this? And, and the singing telegram comes in and says, Congratulations, Bob, you finally got a job. We'd like for you and your spouse to please move out of our house. Good luck from mom and dad. We need a little distance here. Financially, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes spiritually, if the family of origin is not committed to Christ, some of you have come out of families that were not Christian into marriages that were Christian, and that's challenging, but the values of a non-Christian family must not be brought into your Christian family. It's hard sometimes to separate those things out. And distance emotionally. Sometimes we have to say, I'm not going to do this marriage exactly like my parents did their marriage because when God creates a new marriage what he's saying is everything is new 
So even though there, there may have been good things in your, in your parents, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the way your home will be. Let me give you an example. Tim Keller tells about uh, his marriage with his wife, Kathy, and how it started out great. Everything was going swimmingly until they had their first child. In fact, that was going well until the first dirty diaper. And it happened that Tim was holding the baby when the first dirty diaper. Now, here's a little background. Tim grew up in a home where his father went to work every morning away from the home. And his mom went to work every morning in the home. And she had this philosophy, my husband must not have to worry about anything in the house. I will take care of. She was a great, you know, she was Betty Crocker. She was a great housekeeper. She was a great mom. And she took care of the kids so that when the father came home, he was tired from a hard day of work. Did any of you grow up in families like this? And, and it was not his responsibility to take care of the children. Now, Kathy, the, the wife in this new marriage, she grew up in a different kind of home where dad and mom shared everything. They, dad sometimes went grocery shopping. He washed dishes. He, he shared. He, he changed diapers. He was very involved. So now, here is this couple who are happily married, and they've got their first child, beautiful child, wonderful child, and, and Tim is holding the baby, and he smells something. And he realizes something is amiss here, and he says, Kathy, 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 um, something's wrong here. And he hands... He starts to hand the baby to his wife. His wife, on the other hand, who grew up in a very different kind of home, says what? Finders keepers. <laughs> you found him, you get him. Now, what did Tim hear? He heard her saying, I don't love you. Why? Because his mom said, I love you by taking care of those things. And she's saying, finders keepers. I don't love you. She, on the other hand, when he's trying to pass the baby off, what's she hearing? I don't love you. Tim said, my, my father did not even remotely know what was in a dirty diaper. I mean, he had, he had seen documentaries and things, but I mean, in terms of actual physical evidence, he had never even seen, and here I am, and now she thinks I'm going, and he said, we had finally to say, it's probably not going to be the way it was in your home, it's probably not going to be the way it was in my home, because this is now our home. And parents can frankly help with this. We can help our kids to feel the freedom to take responsibility for their own new marriages. Some of you are going through this. Your kids are getting married or about to get married. And you need to allow them the space. So that doesn't mean you don't care for them and love them. Melanie's parents were wonderful. Melanie, I got married, what were we thinking, after her sophomore year in college. And they said, we'd really like to continue to pay for her college. And I said, I'd really like for you to feel free to do that. I, that's a great thing. What a wonderful thing. But I was shocked when they said, we'd really like to pay for your seminary as well. Now that's above and beyond, isn't it? But here's what I loved about Melanie's parents. There was never a single string attached. I mean, not one. I remember her mom, I love Melanie's mom. And Melanie's mom said to Melanie, if things get really rough, you know, we're just 40 miles away. If things get really rough, if he's just overbearing and domineering and just terrible and awful, here's what I want you to do. Stay there and work it out. <laughs> Now see, that's, that's a parent helping a child to leave. And that's a very healthy kind of thing. And, uh, and I appreciated that when the snake showed up in the kitchen that one night because I was pretty sure she was going to go home. And, but she stayed right there and we, we weathered that storm together. So in fact, we leave well. We distance ourselves. Here's the second thing that God says. In an indivisible marriage, we devote ourselves completely to that new relationship. The word is be joined together. You know the word proskolao in, in Greek? 
literally means to be glued together. It's sometimes translated cemented together. So the couple, the new couple is cemented together so that they are, they're literally inseparable. It's in this context that, that Jesus says, what God has joined together, Matthew 19, 6, let no man put us under. Why? Because God's brought this together. He's, it's God's super glue. Maybe you saw that movie, Fireproof, that Christian movie on marriage that came out a few years ago. And the one young man struggling, Kirk Cameron's playing that role, and he's struggling in that relationship. And his friend has the wisdom to take a salt and pepper shaker. Do you remember this? And glue them together. And then he says, after the glue sets up, he says, see, these were meant to stay together. But the young fireman says, well, I can separate them. He says, be careful. Because if you pull them apart now, one or the other or both may be broken. And so there's a brokenness. And those of you who've been through the pain of divorce, and by the way, God loves people who've been through divorce. But those of you who've been through that understand what that means. There's a brokenness. Sometimes it's the children. I'm, I'm a child of parents who ultimately divorced after I was an adult. And there's a brokenness in that and there's there there's a wound there that's very deep and I come this morning to say God has healing in his hands God has the power to heal that but on this side on this side of that while we're struggling in marriage and dealing with I know the scripture makes allowances for adultery explicitly and I think probably implicitly for for abuse and abandonment, there, there, there are provisions there. God wants us to live and to be alive. And so there's certainly provisions for that. But my word to you from God's word is, as you're entering into marriage, as you are in marriage today, that God intends for you to be joined together as one, to come together as one. And, and we certainly understand this physically, the two will become one flesh, but but just as, just as God is Father, Son, and Spirit, you and I are created in the image of God. We are, we are created body, spirit, and soul, the Greeks would say. Now, the, the Hebrews from the Old Testament would say, no, you're just one. It's all one. Your, your body, your spirit, your soul, that's all just one. But the truth about it is that in marriage, we understand body comes together with body. But I want you to hear that spirit comes together with spirit. That is the part of you that relates to God. And that's the spiritual foundation for marriage. But here's the part we miss sometimes is the middle part. The soul must connect with the soul. That is the intellectual, emotional, the part that we would call our minds must come together. That's why it's important that we share life together, that we have common interests. Here's the way to say it, that we become and remain best friends. That's why, I'll just confess it this morning, it's hard to say, I sometimes watch the Lifetime channel. I would never watch the Lifetime network on my own, but Melanie likes that sometimes. And so, and yesterday she sat and endured a basketball game with me. She's not real, she doesn't care who wins. She's not real big on basketball. But she sits there. And why? Because this is part of our sacrifice and sharing our lives together so that we unite. And this is what I want you to see. The implications of this are two. People are defining marriage these days. Hear the word of the Lord. Marriage is a permanent, exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. I know people want to redefine it. I'm not at all, believe me when I say scripturally, I'm not being hateful or unkind when I say there's no such thing scripturally as same-sex marriage. There's no such thing as that. From the beginning, it was man 
and woman. I don't hate anybody. I love everybody. I want everybody to come to Christ, but I don't want anybody here to think, well, times have just changed and we just know more scientifically and so now it's okay um, for there to be same-sex marriage. No, of course not. It doesn't matter what the, what the law says. It doesn't matter if in some state somewhere they vote that that's okay. The truth is God's law prevails and the truth is it's a man and a woman. It's exclusive and it's permanent. Let me tell you what I mean by exclusive. Paul uses this same idea, Genesis 2.24, when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, you were made for the Lord first, but you were also made for each other. And when you get married, you become one with that other person. And so you can't become one with lots of other people. You can't have serial monogamy, as our world calls it. No, it was always meant to be exclusive. And it was always meant to be permanent. They'll become one flesh. What God has joined together, Matthew nineteen six, let no man, we say this in our wedding ceremonies, Larry and I do when we say it, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And the point of that is that God's design for marriage was that it would be permanent, that it would last for a lifetime, that it can be like that. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite writers and he talks about... Um, how when you're dating, you know how you do everything you can to win the heart of that other person. So maybe you don't like Lifetime Network, but you watch it because you, you want to impress that other person. You want to look good. You want to, you want to be impressive because you're trying to win that other person's heart. And then when you get married, what happens? There's a sort of shift, isn't there? Here's the problem with marriage. Somebody has called it the marriage go-round in our country. And here's the problem. We, we, at our core level, value marriage in the United States of America. I mean, you can do a survey, and people value the institution of marriage. But we also value our own rights. And so here's the idea. We say, I have a right to happiness. I have a right to feel good all the time. I have a right. I have a right. And then when we come into marriage, if at some point we don't feel like our rights are, are being respected, then we have this cataclysmic collision of our value of marriage on the one side and our value of what we want on the other side. And this is where submission and sacrifice come together. For permanence to take place, we have to move beyond what I want and what I wish to what God wants. And God wants us to compromise and sacrifice and love each other and give to each other. This is God's design for marriage. And Philip Yancey says he notices after being married, he had been married 25 years when he wrote this. Melanie and I have now been married 26. He said he noticed that there was a subtle shift back toward the way it was when they were dating. Not to win the heart of the other person, but starting to care about what the other person wants out of gratitude for years of commitment to each other. So I'm willing to give a little bit and to sacrifice because I am so incredibly grateful this exclusivity and permanence must be spoken out loud. To me, I'm just, this is just me. I'm sure you feel the same way about your spouse. But to me, Melanie is the most beautiful person in the world. I mean, I tell her that frequently. I speak those words to her. And if you don't speak those words to your spouse, can I just tell you something? Somebody thinks your wife is beautiful. Somebody does. And will likely say it at some point. Somebody thinks your husband is impressive. And what he says is the husband's supposed to love the wife and the wife is supposed to respect the husband. I heard this in a story this week from Jean Vanier, the founder of L'Arche Community in, in Paris. He tells about a businessman friend of his who was a very impressive businessman 
very successful man who lived his own life sort of separate from his wife. There came a time when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he decided that he would lay aside his business interests to care for her. Telling Jean Vanier about it, he said, you know, I've become more human in this process. Caring for her, watching over her, feeding her, nurturing her, as I've seen so many of you do through the years. And and she forgot who he was. There was a deep fog in her mind that kept her from understanding who he was. But there was one moment of clarity when she awoke, awoke during the night. She awakened and she she awakened him as well. And when he looked at her, she said, Darling, thank you for all the wonderful things that you've been doing for me. And he wept and he wept. And they went back to sleep. In the morning, the fog had returned. But for one moment of lucidity, she was able to express the love. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And in that unity, in that union, God is glorified and, and grace is transmitted daily so that we can care for each other's souls. We can care for each other's minds. We can care for each other's lives. This is, this is God's ultimate design. And here's the important part about that. That, that strength gives our kids a chance to have strength. doesn't guarantee anything. I understand that. But it gives them I mean, it's really true. The greatest thing I can do for my kids is to love their mom. That is the greatest thing. The greatest thing Melanie can do for our kids is to love me. And in that relationship of wholeness and health with, you know, two sinful people, fragile and fallible, God's grace is revealed and manifested every day. And God is glorified in that. And Judith Viorst has said it well, that the great possibility in, in marriage is this, that marriage keeps us together until we fall in love with each other again and again and again. I think Tim Keller is right about this. Um, Pastors, and there are pastors in this room, understand what I mean when I say this. Pastors, it's the only profession where we have as our job to love people that under ordinary circumstances, we might not even like. Now just stay with me here because I pastored a little church out in the country one time and it was just crazy out there. I mean, um, one, one guy murdered his parents-in-law and um, um, it was a triple murder, his brother-in-law and his parents-in-law. And, and uh, one, mom, um, one mom had a 13-year-old daughter and allowed her to marry a 33-year-old man um, because she said he was her first love. And then this 13-year-old grew up and... And she ran off with her husband's little brother. And the little brother, this gets sad, the little brother had AIDS. And I remember one December 24th on a cold morning in Waco going up to Hillcrest Medical Center to, to offer pastoral care to a young woman and a baby that had just been born HIV positive. I mean, it was a crazy place. I mean, one guy wouldn't eat catfish because the Old Testament says you don't eat anything that doesn't have scales, but... When he smoked marijuana, he would drag his wife around the house by her hair. I mean, these people were crazy. And, and, you know, there were times, you know, about every three or four months, I would take a day off. And Melanie would say, what do you want to do today? And I would say, well, why don't we invite these people over? And she would say, are you crazy? <laughs> Nobody even likes those people. Everybody knows they're crazy. And I would say, I know, but I, I really like them. I really do. 
And the word that I have for you is, nowhere in the whole Bible does love ever find its definition in the way I feel. Love is not something I feel. Love is something I do. And when we stay in love, that is in commitment, in a permanent, exclusive relationship, we will discover that there are things that we like about people and things that we don't like. But if we stay in that commitment, we will discover, as Philip Yancey says, the day will come when that that marriage that kept us together gives us the joy of being in love again. And Yancey says, I grieve for those who give up before it comes full circle again. Can I just say, permanent, exclusive, God's design. There's great strength in that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the joy of serving you. Help us, I pray today, to be faithful to each other in all of our relationships, to be faithful to you. And thank you, Lord, for your amazing love in our lives. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.